All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make fans, admirers, churchgoers, volunteers, activists, no. Make kids who love their daddy and want to be just like him. Make apprentices who study every move of the master and orient their lives around honing their craft. Make students who hang on every word of the teacher and go practice what they've heard. Show people what Jesus looked like and challenge them to look like him. Train people who ask, what is God saying? And what am I doing about it? Encourage people who look for what God is doing and ask how they can partner with him. Shape people to be those who desperately want to hear the voice of the shepherd. People who are fiercely loyal and relentlessly faithful to follow. Make people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and who are eager to share all they have seen and heard that their joy may be complete. In the end, it won't matter how many people showed up and sat down on Sundays. All that will matter is how many disciples got up and followed the Master. Normally, I like to go directly into the message, but there are some unrelated things I need to do that kind of break it up, but that's okay. I'm fine. I checked and told myself that'd be okay this morning as long as it's not a regular practice. So we're going to do that. First, I just want to say thank you to the church on behalf of the staff for your kindness all through the Christmas um, season. The board was very generous to us, and many of you expressed your support, love, and kindness, everything from food to other gifts, to uh, bread. I even got a pair of pink flamingo socks. <laughs> so I appreciate all of those. Uh, and the, the worst of that is, I've been here long enough to know it was anonymous, didn't matter. <laughs> I knew exactly who that person was as I survey. I don't know where he went, where he's seated. But anyway, thank you on behalf of the team for your kindness all uh, through the year. And there are people who operate here behind the scenes when we're talking about discipleship that do things you don't know much about or don't see. Um, I get compliments all the time about our online presence and uh, the video work that we produce, and none of that happens by accident. It's an entirely different media to serve online, and we have a new intro video that some of you, if you weren't here right at the start of the service, haven't got to see that I think is really well done. Can we run that again? I didn't ask you if we'd do that, but I'd like for everyone to be able to see this intro video. It introduces the service and introduces people to Bereans, so go ahead and run that if you've got that handy there.
I love the video. I have to make a couple of comments. Someone saw it the first time we rolled it out, I think last week or week before, and said it's fake news. And I said, how's that? Because Pastor Nathan was in his suit. So <laughs> we, we wanted to archive that so that didn't get away. And uh, just so you know, the sledgehammer on the car, that only happens if you take somebody else's parking place. So be careful where you park. That actually was a youth event and so well done. And all of that, we've contracted with Alex McGinnis. He's the brains and the creativity, orchestrates and produces everything that happens online, our IT here in our video. Alex is back in the booth. Uh, give Alex a big hand this morning, doing a phenomenal job. Does a phenomenal job. He's also the troubleshooter in between and uh, makes sure that all of that gets produced. So there's a place in the kingdom for everybody to do what God's called you to do and use your gifting. And that's why this morning we talk about our second core value is intentional discipleship. We talked about biblical authority, meaning that we believe in the authority of scripture, that it is our all-sufficient rule for faith and conduct and that it doesn't matter what my circumstance is, it matters that we're in submission to the word of God. Hello? That matters to us here, everything built around scripture. And second is that we're intentional about the task of discipleship, and our statement says, every follower of Jesus needs to gain greater insight of the scripture through training, discover their own unique gifting, learn how to influence others, and be equipped to effectively engage our culture. And I'm gonna to suggest to you that discipleship is not an option, it is a requirement of scripture. That we're called to being more than fans, we're called to being disciples following after Jesus. And that discipleship will not happen without intentionality, without a purposeful, uh, um, intentional drive to follow after Jesus. So I want to talk to you about that process this morning and I also want to challenge you to evaluate your own heart. Are you not a convert, not have you prayed the prayer, but are you a practicing disciple of Jesus Christ? Where are you in your walk? And encourage all of you and new believers to engage in the process of discipleship. We need to ask ourselves about our commitment to this process of faith. So I'm gonna say some things this morning, um, intentionally controversial to get your attention. So please listen carefully or you're gonna misunderstand what I'm trying to say. How many will listen carefully? That's what I expected, about a third. The rest of you are gonna post on Facebook that I'm a pagan. So uh, listen carefully to what I have to say. Number one, I want you to grab hold of this and what it means. The church is called to discipleship, not evangelism. The church is called to discipleship, not evangelism. I believe that the contemporary evangelical church has overemphasized evangelism to the exclusion of discipleship. 
that we're counting scalps, we're counting responses rather than evaluating how well we're moving people into the kingdom. We want a destination rather than a journey. So we built a model that says, hey, if you raise your hand and pray the prayer, you're good. Now just start giving and keep coming to church. It's more than that. It's more than simply praying a prayer. It's about a journey. On our annual church ministries report, it asks every year, and I hate this question, how many first-time commitments were made at your church? I don't know. How do you know that? Let me give you an example. Preaching one Sunday several years ago, I gave an altar call at the end as direct and specific as I could. I said this morning, you are not walking with Jesus. If you were to die right now, you would go to hell. You need Jesus in your life because you are not a child of God. You are not a Christ follower. You're on a pathway to hell in a handbasket, and you want to change this this morning and change the direction of your life. How many think that's pretty clear? Well, if it's not, I can be more clear, but that's as far as I went that Sunday. And had I uh, had four, no, six young adults that raised their hand. I thought, this is incredible. They I, come forward, let's do all the stuff. So they came forward. I called the worship leader back to the podium. I said, I'm going to take them. We had a side entrance into the library. I'm going to take them into the library, and I want you to keep singing until I come back, however long that takes. So I got them all in the side room. I wanted to make sure they understood what we we're praying about. Remember the altar call. You're going straight to hell, and you need to change your life. They raised their hand, came forward. We go into the library, and not one of them raised their hand because they wanted to make a commitment to Christ. They all told me they're already Christ followers. One was battling depression. One's grandmother was on her deathbed. And on and on it went. They didn't care what the altar call was they just wanted someone to sympathize empathize and pray so i could say there were six new converts that morning that morning when there were zero right how many are hearing me for two years i was a follow-up pastor in our city for a media ministry that when someone television ministry when someone would call they would lead them to jesus and anyone that was led to jesus i would get the list along with some other pastors, I would get the list for our side of town and I'd make those calls and then encourage them and try to invite them to the church. And in two years' time, of all the calls I made of people that called in to give their life to Jesus, not one of them had made a commitment of faith. They were all believers who wanted someone to pray with them. So what I'm saying to you is, if all we're doing is counting responses and hands raised, we're missing the point. The point isn't to get someone to make a decision. The point is to get someone to engage a journey. And wherever you are in that journey, it's the desire of our leadership team and our, and our board and the philosophy of our ministry that we want to see you move forward in your faith wherever you are. And that begins absolutely with giving your life to Jesus but that happens in so many ways I heard the testimony got a chance to share with a man this week that doesn't attend our church telling me a story and how he came to faith and and uh, being talked to by navigators and and a number of things that happened in his life and he puts the point of the beginning of his faith journey 
as he's kneeling in a cabbage patch asking God to do something with his life. And what all happened there was a phenomenal testimony. You see, it doesn't matter if you do it the way we do it. What matters is, do you know that you're alive? And are you walking with him? I'm one of those guys that can't tell you when I made a commitment of my life to Jesus. Because I did it probably a hundred times. Every time there was an altar call as a kid, I raised my hand because I knew Jesus was coming and I didn't want to be left behind. I saw the movie. And I'd repent and repent and repent. And I don't know when that happened. I can't tell you when I fill out the forms, when did you give your life to Jesus? I don't know. So I just make something up and hope God will forgive me on the day of judgment because I couldn't get credentials without giving them a date. So I gave them a date somewhere in this vicinity. But here's, do you know what? How many of you believe this morning that I'm alive? Wow, that's really sad. That's really sad. I'm going to come down where you are if I don't get a better response. How many of you believe I'm alive? Thank you so much. But you know what? I don't remember anything about when the journey started. I've heard the stories. My parents didn't have insurance. I'm at the hospital born, and my uh, dad goes in, and they say, you're going to pay the bill, or you can't take your son home. And he said, I don't have the money. We'll make payments. You can't make payments. You're going to pay the bill. And he said, then fine, keep him, and walked out. <laughs> I grew up at the hospital until I was 12. No, not really. <laughs> not really. Not really. They decided they'd rather have payments. Nobody wanted me. They didn't want to keep me. We'll take payments. You got a buck a month? We'll, we'll let you take that kid home. Point is, I don't remember anything about my birth. And if you think you do, you're into mysticism. Because you don't either. Listen, the cemetery is filled with people who had a birth certificate. The proof isn't in my birth certificate. It's in that I'm upright taking nourishment and, and, and doing the things that testify that I'm alive. And so for you, I'm not nearly as concerned with where you experienced being born again, as important as that is. And as much as I've, I value that, I want to know if you're alive today. Examine yourself, the Bible says, whether you be in the faith. Not did you pray the prayer, but are you being discipled? Because on the day of judgment, it won't be what you wrote on the flyleaf of your Bible. It's how you've been living your life in relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know that the Bible never uses the word evangelism? It only uses the word evangelist. In other words, it's not a task it's not, it's not a ministry that we engage in. It becomes a character that we live. Four times people are called evangelists. And Paul says to do the work of an evangelist. That means the emphasis, watch this, isn't on how people respond. The emphasis is on what are we communicating? 
We need to be talking about Jesus. There needs to be an atmosphere all around us that we're talking about the good things God has done, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We're to be bringers of good news. In Mark 16, it tells us to preach the gospel. And that word preach means to be a herald, to officiate as a herald, always with the suggestion of formality, gravity, and authority, which can be listened to and obeyed. In other words, what are we doing? We're proclaiming a message that we expect people to listen to. We're proclaiming it with authority and we expect them to obey it. And then as they respond, they become disciples of Jesus. Intentional discipleship is incredibly um, important. We're called to make disciples, not to simply get responses not proclaiming um, just a message, but calling to a lifestyle of discipleship. Converting or deciding is certainly where the journey starts. It is certainly where the journey starts. But the issue isn't how many prayed the prayer, but how many are continuing on to follow Christ. It's about the journey, the lifestyle, the engagement. Some years ago, I was serving as a presbyter, and we were really concerned about the ACMR. That's the annual church ministries report, the bane of every church pastor. They want to know how many toenails were clipped in the last year. I mean, there's all kinds of things on that list, and they're changing it, trying to be more responsive, and I get that. So one of our pastors hadn't responded, and I got a call from the superintendent said, you have these churches in your section that haven't filled out the ACMR. Here's an abbreviated form, and I thought, if I'd known that, that's the one I'd have done, but call him. So it was a church in north-central Iowa that was running about 30 people. I said, how many First-time commitments have you had at your church this year? He said, over 600. Oh, my. Wow. How many? What's your Sunday morning attendance? About 35. That's a pretty big failure rate. Hello? Are you with me? Are you hearing me? I said, how in the world do you come up with 600 commitments to Christ? Well, they'd hosted the power team. And they had the rallies at their church. And over a week time, 600 responded. I don't think God's impressed with our evangelism numbers. I think he's impressed or moving us toward our discipleship numbers. How many are hearing what I'm saying? Are we helping people move forward? Are we engaging them? We can put on a great service and you can respond emotionally to what's happening in the moment and and raise your hand. But if you're not committing to a journey, you've simply received a vaccine. You've not experienced a new life. It's got to be more than that. So in that sense, we're called to discipleship, not evangelism. We have made the baptism of the Holy Spirit a destination. Pray in tongues, you got it, now sit down and behave. And it's not, it's a journey. The Christian faith isn't about destinations other than heaven. It's about the journey that we engage in. And the manna that you ate yesterday won't suffice today. You've got to have fresh manna, fresh bread from heaven, a fresh touch from God when? Yesterday's anointing 
won't carry today. I need a fresh touch of Jesus every day. And discipleship happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, on the job, in the workplace, as you're driving down the road, everywhere you go, it's a way we live. And so I'd like to change the paradigm that it's not about how many respond, it's about how many engage. We're called to discipleship, not evangelism. It starts with evangelism, but we pat ourselves on the back by our evangelism numbers where our discipleship numbers fall by the wayside. Second, similarly, disciples are made, not born. Disciples are made, not born. Now, you do have to be a disciple. Uh, To be a disciple, you do have to be born. You can't grow if you aren't alive. You can put a dead body up to the table and it's not going to eat. There has to be life and it begins there, but it's a journey. So I've taken a number of, of leadership courses, classes, trying to grow in what I feel like are God's giftings in my life and trying to, trying to feed those and learn those and develop those and grow in those. And I was in a class where they said leaders are made, not born. Do you know what percent of leaders are natural leaders by surveys that have been done? Statistics tell us that people who are in leadership and are being effective in leadership, only 5% of leaders are natural born leaders. 95% have to learn how to grow in their calling. You will, no one, let me say it this way, no one will be born a disciple. There's got to be something more that happens in our journey. You saw in the video, we talked about it. We're called not to make fans or activists. We're called to make disciples. And you can practice, watch, you can practice spiritual disciplines and not be spiritually alive. Do you know that you don't have to be born again to read the Bible? Do you know that you don't have to be born again to pray? Do you know that you don't have to be born again to give in the offering? We'll take money from heathen. (laughs) You don't even have to be born again to regularly attend church or even invite someone to come with you. You can do the disciplines without being alive. Now watch, but you can't stay alive without doing the disciplines. Doing all of the right things doesn't make you a child of God. But if you are a child, that's why I think if you are a child of God, you will want to engage the disciplines. We try to get people to read the Bible. I don't have any interest. I don't have any time. It's because you're not alive. If you're alive, there's a passion, a hunger in there that will ebb and flow. I get that. But there's a passion in there. I want to know what the God of heaven, the father of my life has to say to me. And this isn't a religious book. It's the word of my loving heavenly father. And I want to hear from him today. Why do I give? Not because I have to, but because God has so blessed me. I want to respond with generosity. Are you hearing what I'm saying the disciplines will not make you a disciple but all uh, disciples will practice the disciplines of the faith 
Now, I know that you already know this, but we cannot celebrate births without committing to raising children. Right? Oh, isn't it wonderful to celebrate somebody's new baby, especially when they're not living at your house? That is, oh, that's a cute baby. Take them home. Take them home. I love grandkids because I don't have to raise them. And just, you know, here, have some pixie sticks, some Mountain Dew, and let's have some ice cream and then go home. Just go home. Be a terror to your parents like they were to us. Just bless their life. (laughs) The pro-life movement gets criticism because of a false notion that we want to make sure babies are born and don't, and that we don't care about what happens after that, and that is a lie from hell. It isn't true in any pro-life paradigm that I've ever seen. You want to see people who are the most committed to seeing babies grow up in a healthy home and love Jesus? Look at the pro-life movement because that's where they are because it wouldn't make sense, would it, to fight for babies to be born and then walk away from them after they come into this world. And it wouldn't make any more sense to see people begin their journey, new life in Christ, the new birth, and then walk away from them. Or to tell them that they're fine, that they're okay. When I was, this is, I don't know what syndrome um, this person had. I, I've not researched it, but one, I was uh, in high school and went to a, an area meeting and I'm walking by and there's a blanket on the floor and what looks like the size would have been a baby wrapped up in a blanket sleeping or I thought and I walked by and I heard this deep bass voice come out of that blanket and say how are you (laughs) (laughs) that baby had a beard I don't know what the I don't know what it was had a great personality we had a great conversation but how many know that there's something wrong when you can swaddle someone with a beard <laughs> we call those church attenders is anyone hearing me right now I'm not picking on the on the disability I'm simply saying you could look at that person and know that something got broke right right The same is true with believers. It's not enough to just come. You've got to make disciples. You don't birth disciples. You make disciples. It's a commitment to growing in spiritual life. Paul writes this way to the church, uh, or I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews records this. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you were slow to learn. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about 
Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. He's saying to the church, the believers in the, in the Jewish world, it's time for you to grow up. And it's something that you engage in, that you work at, that you commit yourself to. Disciplines are not discipleship. We can't make disciples if we aren't disciplined. That's because of the life of God on the inside of us. How many are still with me? All right with that? So I want you to understand that our calling is to discipleship, not to evangelism. Evangelism is a subset. We don't have a core value that says evangelism because we see evangelism as the first step of discipleship. We're committed to the process. Second, disciples are made, not born. You have to engage in the process. You have to commit to that. So when we see, when, when I give an altar call, and I, and I believe in those, but I'm just, I'm sometimes, let me, let, me, let me come at this differently because that wasn't gonna come out right. We should celebrate everyone that raises their hand for an altar call for salvation. And we should grieve every one of those that don't engage in the journey. Too many believers get more excited, and I'm gonna show this to you in a minute, get more excited about the birth than about changing the diapers and engaging the process. There has to be a commitment to the process. And we should celebrate, what should we celebrate? We should celebrate water baptism, and we do. How many have been to what we, why do we celebrate that? Because I know for a fact that those individuals have made a commitment to Christ and are moving forward in their faith. And it might be that they've lived for the Lord for years and are now making that step, but it's an indication that they're engaging in the journey. Why do we celebrate church membership? Because we don't believe that church membership will get you into heaven, but it does indicate you're willing to identify with a body of believers, support that body of believers, and share your gifts with that body of believers. What's that called? A step forward in discipleship. That we need to celebrate that, I think, even more. We should celebrate the initial response, but let's create an attractional, attractive atmosphere to celebrate those that move on as well and are growing in their faith and say, well done, stay on the journey. And there are a lot of ways that we can do that. So the last thing that I wanna to say to you is that discipleship is a relationship, not a program. Discipleship is a relationship, not a program. What did Jesus say when he called the 12, when he called the fishermen, he said, Peter, I want you to come with me. I've got a book I want you to read. I've got a job I want you to do. It's really clear. What did he say to all of those? He said, come and follow me. Come and follow me. He also had a supernatural call on some of the disciples. When you're under the fig tree, I saw you. And Israel indeed, in whom is no guile. But all of the call was 
not to just come and study and go to a class, but come and follow me. What is discipleship? It's learning how to follow Jesus, to do what he would do, to say what he would say, to behave the way that he behaves, and to let the life of God flow out of you in relationship to him. He didn't say, come and study about faith. He said, come and experience faith. Follow me. The Bible says in Mark chapter 3, and he appointed 12, designating them apostles that they might be with him. What was their primary calling? To be with him. (laughs) What does that even mean? It means that every day I'm not satisfied with my life if I've not been with him. If I've not been with him. Now, as a grandparent, is it okay if I be a grandparent? Thank you for that unanimous vote of support. My granddaughter, we have a grandson that's four, five, ten. How old is he? Four. And he's sitting in a chair doing something and he begins to sing a worship song that he learned in preschool. Oh, dear Jesus, help us all. What's happening in that moment? In that moment, he is being with Jesus. If a, if a toddler, if a young person can do that, you and I should have that same hunger to be with him. Not just when did you pray, when did you read your Bible, how much more are you doing today? The idea being, um, do you want to be with him? I was listening to a podcast on prayer and someone said, prayer is just really hard for me. So I just start my day with a one sentence prayer, God be with me today. And if you don't pray, that's fine. But I want more than that. I want more than a good morning to my wife. I want to enjoy life together. And it's coming to be with him. We need to reinstill into evangelical faith a component that has a bit of a mystery that we are with him not just intellectually or academically but experientially we are with him we're with him I've shared this story before one of the first messages I preached and I can't help but come back to it was working on a I worked on a golf course a couple summers watering the course and to water the course um there are sprinkler heads in the ground on the tee, in the fairway, and on the greens. And my job was to do the greens overnight. And there were three on each, 18 holes, three sprinkler heads. And you would, they're about this tall, and you'd screw them in. And as soon as you did, it would start spraying this big circle all the way around. And my job was to get them in tight, let them sprinkle, water the greens for three hours, pick them all up and go do the back nine for another three hours, pick them all up, put them away. That was my job night after night after night. And I discovered something. The sprinkler, the sprinkler doesn't work if it doesn't stay connected to the water pipe. Because the strength of the sprinkler and the ability to nourish the land doesn't come from the sprinkler. It comes from the water source. And often I'd go around and I'd find this sprinkler that had worked, listen to me, had worked so hard that it had worked itself loose. And instead of, it's going, and when it goes, you know what it does? 
instead of nourishing the grass, it cuts a line in the grass and damages it rather than blessing it because it's trying to do its job without being connected to the source. I'm, gonna, I, I'm just convinced the number of pastors that are quitting ministry is alarming today. The people that are deconstructing their faith is alarming to me. And I'm going to tell you why it happens. It's because we become disconnected from the source. Jesus said, take a vacation and you'll be refreshed. Go to Branson and you'll have, be reinvigorated. Go to Disney World, the happiest place. Is that what he said? He didn't say take a day off, take a break. And I'm for all of that. What did he say? Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, on you, and learn of me, and you will find rest for your soul. The Old Testament writers discovered it as they said, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why? Because they see their relationship with God as being experiential. Discipleship is learning to, to be with him. To be with him. The old hymn writer, and he walks with me and talks with me and tells me that I am his own. Being with him is the primary component in being apostles. So what about programs? Can I talk about programs for a minute? Thank you very much. Are you okay now? I've preached, now I'm gonna really preach. That was the spiritual side so I could talk about the practical side. <laughs> oh, I'm nervous right now. Not really, but I hope you are. The purpose, listen to me. The purpose of programs the purpose is to aid in the discipleship process. The program is not discipleship. The program is not discipleship. So if we have programs that we've had for decades that aren't producing disciples, we need to get rid of discipleship programs that don't produce disciples. That's not profound. That's just a clear understanding. What happens to us is we institutionalize programs because it's what we're familiar with, it's what we like, it's what we're comfortable with, and we want the old program whether or not it was producing disciples. Let me, that boy, that got really quiet. Anybody have the courage enough to kind of give me a little encouragement this morning? Whisper an amen. Let me take another place. We talk, and Nathan, Pastor Nathan shares my heart in this. But if we have a worship team that doesn't produce worship in a response, they're failing. I don't care how good it's done, but if it's not producing worshipers, more important on the platform than musical ability is the ability to worship. Now, if you're a great worshiper and have no musical ability, please don't get on the platform. <laughs> Hello? But I'm saying to you, the programs should produce disciples. 
They're not discipleship of themselves. I'm absolutely convinced that life change happens best in small groups because you can be anything in this place and you can raise your hand and worship, but they're honestly, come on, I believe in corporate worship. In the New Testament church in Acts chapter two, they gathered in the temple and they gathered daily from house to house. They had large group corporate worship and small group discipleship. It happened from the very beginning in some form or some fashion. I believe in the power of the corporate worship experience. In fact, I believe that everything that happens in the church is connected to the large group corporate worship experience and out of that should flow discipleship. Because in this experience, while we try to create an environment that we can go to the word together and be challenged from the word and join our vision and we can all be encouraged together and experience the presence of God in community, it doesn't disciple you because you can be the same going out that you were coming in. But when five or six of us are gathered together in a room and we're exploring scripture together, some people don't like that because it gets too real. Hallelujah. I just want to worship. Don't ask me about my journey so there has to be in the biblical order some means that we are experiencing God together and I know there are a lot of ways to do that a lot of methods but I want you to see that the purpose of the program isn't to perpetuate the program the purpose of the program is to produce disciples so let me get specific we have on Wednesday, for example, girls and boys ministries that used to be called Missionettes and Royal Rangers. And I know in a lot of places it doesn't work anymore. And let me tell you why it doesn't work. It doesn't work anymore because, uh, not because it's an archaic system of steps, it doesn't work anymore because it is leader intensive. You have to have a lot of adults. And I'm still committed. If we're going to change our culture, we need godly men mentoring boys. And we need godly women mentoring girls. I believe that. I've been called a bigot for that. I've been called a sexist for that. You can call me whatever you want. But I believe there's a... Now, is it just that? Not just that. But we need to have a place where... How many of you know that boys and girls are different? I don't care what the news says. I don't care what pronouns they choose. A he is a he and a she is a she till Jesus comes back again. We need discipleship. Where do we have it? We have it everywhere. Um, we have it all around us. In our youth program, they have small group discipleship interaction with adult leaders in Promised Land. Promised Land is all about small groups and interaction. In Filling Station, in every time they gather, there's a large group component and a small group component. In fact, Pastor, Pastor Matthew shared a phenomenal story with me. Now watch how this works. He was ministering to the students and said to them, we're going to learn to pray and hear the voice of God. We're just going to learn. Do you think that kids can learn the voice of God? Oh, yes, I 
do. I read about a little boy named Samuel that God spoke to him and he said, your, your servant hears. Your servant is listening. It was throughout scripture. Now I believe you can over abuse that. But he said, I want you to kneel down and pray and just write down something that you feel like God's speaking to you. And they wrote down some phenomenal things. And he said, I want you to share that with someone. And he said he was so depressed that not one of those kids came to him. Do you know where they went? Every one of them went to their small group leader. The adult that they were interacting with, not in large group context, but in small group relationship. I wanna tell my teacher what I believe God spoke to me. That's how it always works. That's how it always works. We are shifting to more of that in young adult ministry. We're doing it here in the church. Um, we have small group opportunities on Wednesday and Sunday morning for everyone to engage. Now, I, I'm going to get a little direct. Our programs in the past eliminated people from being able to volunteer and be in a small group. Because on Sunday morning, you couldn't be in a small group if you're helping with kids. On Wednesday, you couldn't be in a small group if you were helping with kids. You couldn't do that. So we effectively eliminated all of our leaders from being able to be in a small group context. So we got rid of some of the programs that weren't producing disciples and have tried to engage in a small group environment that allows everybody to engage if they want to. And Pastor Kevin can tell you the number of adults that we have involved on average in small group community is twice what we were doing before. Is that about right? About twice what we were doing before. Now you can tell me that we need to go back to old programs and I will tell you I'm not gonna eat last yesterday's manna. I want us all to be able to engage. Now he's well, I'm not going to small groups. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to. You can find some other way to do that. But I'm just going to tell you that Sunday morning worship isn't enough for you to stay a disciple. You're going to have to have somewhere. Now, maybe you don't do it that way and it doesn't work in your schedule or you're too busy, but I don't think we can excuse ourselves on the day of judgment to say, I was too busy to engage in the process of discipleship. Because the Bible says what? When is God glorified? God is glorified when we produce spiritual fruit. Herein is my Father glorified when you bear much fruit. What is our goal? Our goal is to see unbelievers become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. And when I use the sprinkler, that context of, of being a, a, a follower producing fruit is what? You can't produce fruit as a branch. The branch can only produce fruit when it's anchored to the vine. And we are not designed to be solo Lone Ranger disciples. You've got to engage the journey with other believers. And so we provide on-ramps. 
Can you do it other ways? Certainly you can do it other ways. But there are on-ramps. How do we do that? What is it we're looking for? And I'm going to be really clear here. We have spent a lot of time talking about pathways. How can we meet the person who walks in, or how can we meet people who've never been in the door, or the person that walks in in the first time and provide pathways for them to move forward in their faith? And we are intentional about that. Hopefully you don't see it. It's not like we've got hallways painted, but we have an intentional, purposeful plan to move someone from a first-time attender to a fully um, 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 involved member of the body of Christ here at Berean. And what are we looking for? What is our goal for someone who walks in? Here's what we want for you the first time you walk in. Our goal, if this is your first time, let me tell you, we're after you. And yes, there's something we want from you or for you. Number one is that you, that you meet Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That's what we're about. That you would experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Second then, once you've encountered Jesus and he's changed your life, we want you to be baptized in water by immersion because that is the biblical order. Everything else was the creation of man. The Old Testament Jews and the word itself means to be baptized by immersion in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you've never had that happen, we want you to do that. Why? Because it's moving you forward. Are you seeing that? It's not to check a box on our list. It's to see you move forward in your faith. Once you've made a commitment to Christ, wherever and however that happens, we want to see you baptize in water and take that next public declaration. What else do we want? We want you to go to Launchpad. We want you to know what this church is about. Are you the only church going to heaven? No, but if you're, we're, if you're here, we want you to be uncomfortable just sinning. How do you get involved? What do you do? How do you take the next steps? Go to Launchpad. You can join from that point if you want to. You can engage in whatever way you want. We'd love to see you become a member, but our drive isn't just toward membership. It's that you would be born again, baptized in water, attend Launchpad, and see what next steps are available to you, and then that you will be in a connect group. Because at that point, you'll be able to see all the pathways in front of you. You cannot develop your giftings without engaging in an expression of your giftings. And we'll provide those opportunities. You'll see in the foyer on our color wall, we want you to connect with God's family, grow in God's character, serve in God's church. We want you in a, um, if you look at the purpose of the connect groups on the banner out there, we're together doing what? Serving, growing, and connecting giving you opportunities out of the connect groups to identify your gifting, to engage in that, and to engage in discipleship because I'm absolutely convinced days are coming that converts won't last, but disciples will prevail. It's a life and death matter. So we are, whether you see it or not, I don't want hard, rigid rules and lines that we do this and don't do that. What I do want is an opportunity for an on-ramp for you to engage in the discipleship process. And you'll be much more excited if you are a disciple than if you are stagnant as a convert. We're intentional about discipleship. So what does that mean? Well, this morning, 
as you go out, we're going to ask you if you're tithing. If you, no, we're not. Not at all. How can you grow? Find a way to move forward. Get, go to Launchpad. Get a connect group. We have an online portal that you can sign up for volunteer ministries. We have an application form that will help you find the place for you to serve. But our goal is that everyone here be moving closer to Jesus relationally and experientially and in our ministry service before God. Well, that's an awful lot this morning. I'm totally fine with people coming here and just enjoying worship together. Why? Because my prayer every Sunday is God let us, let us spark. Let us spark. I'd rather have you here than out there. But I'd rather have you here saying, Jesus, what do you want for my life? And I'm, I'm going to say this, just so you understand where I'm at. That doesn't mean all of your service has to be within these four walls. We have people that God sparked ministry. There's ministry out there that needs to be done for the work of the kingdom. And it may not be inside these walls, but you need to be doing something that grows and develops your faith. Um, I'm going to do a plug for Wednesday night. I've taught two weeks on divine healing and someone asked me afterwards, after last week, what does that even mean? This Wednesday night, I wanna talk to you about how to effectively engage in the ministry of divine healing. What does that look like? How do we move into that? I'm gonna take a third week on that because I believe it's that important. But you'll never, you'll never experience the power of the gifts of the spirit by sitting at your, in your home and just reading your Bible. I had someone call me out at the gym about something I had said I'd preached. What does that look like? What does that really mean? Be ready always. Be ready always. So what's my appeal? My appeal to you is simply this. Are you moving forward in your faith? If not, let us help you because we are intentional about making disciples, not about compiling converts. Let's stand together and let's recommit our own hearts to following Jesus with everything that we have.
morning on our way out at the end of this service I want to give you an opportunity to practice one of the discipleship disciplines and that's giving thank you so much for your regularly giving and tithes and offerings and missions for what we do here so much appreciated but I have a good friend he's a pastor at Heritage Assembly of God on the north side daughter and son-in-law Seth and Sarah Brown attend here at Berean And they had about a week ago a house fire and lost about 75% of everything that they have. Now, I don't know. I know they have insurance, and I know that insurance will take care of that, but I also know that's a process. And I also think the body of Christ should respond in that kind of tragedy. The devil would like to... I'm just going to tell you, if I had lost 75% of my household, ministry would be profoundly um, impaired for a period of time while I tried to put those pieces together. And so if we put that giving slide up, you can write the word help on an envelope and put it in the, um, in the giving box, or you can text dollar sign and the amount to and the word help to 84321. So you put the dollar sign, the amount that you wanna give, $100,000, and then the word help to 84321, and an example is there. And why are we doing that? Because I believe the body of Christ should respond. We are not the universal body. We are part of that as a local congregation. And I'd like to say to one of our fellow pastors, we've got your back. We'll be with you. We'll be walking with you. And if everybody did a little, we can respond with a lot that I know will encourage them. So would you take just a moment before you go, if you want to text an amount, if you want to make a pledge on an envelope, just write the word help and the amount that you want to give within the next 30 days, and we'll send that entire amount to them. All right? Let God speak to your heart. And before you go, would you be a part of that? Amen? An opportunity for generosity to be experienced by disciples. Amen. Love you. God bless you. I'm so thankful. Here's what I'm thankful for. I feel like our church is moving forward in discipleship, but it is one of our core values. Let's not be a convert. Let's be a disciple. Amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. Amen. 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 God bless you this morning.